We will pick up again in chapter 14, Mark chapter 14. As you see the end of the chapter, the people who would come against the Lord being introduced to him where he is in that garden of Gethsemane through the betrayer Judas. We will read from verse 43. Immediately while he yet spake cometh Judas one of the twelve and with him a great multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Please him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against the robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. As we continue to read here, we see how these disciples that are close to him, fear took a hold of them. And just as we've read from this gospel, quoting the book of Zechariah, the shepherd was taken. Smite the shepherd and the flock, the sheep, scattered. And the description here of how one of those left him, fled from him. Now a certain young man followed him, and having a linen cloth thrown around, he left unclothed. The young men laid hold of him and he left the linen cloth and fled from them. Naked. The fear that came upon them. The power that we need to withstand our testimony or to have this testimony that we have in Christ, our witness our loyalty to him against all kinds of attack and forces of hell. Going on to verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Right from the beginning, they couldn't find any true witness against the Lord, but they proceeded. 
This was the hour of darkness. And the prince of the world came in his moment. But all things, as Jesus said, were a fulfillment of the prophecy that God gave. And how the Son of God, as we read in Philippians, he emptied himself. Let's just go to Philippians chapter 2. To understand that this is part of God's program and plan. And in this famous section, once again we see Philippians 2, 5. And onwards. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, or never ceasing to be God, did not consider it robbery. He didn't consider it a crime or injustice to be counted equal with God because he was God. But though he is God, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a slave, a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. He humbled himself to serve. And he came as a human being, not as an angelic figure from heaven. This entry into the world and the mission that the Father had, he followed through with it. And he's at this stage that we see in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, in fulfilling that program, the plan of God. And he's going to be put to death. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He didn't have to, but he chose to. It said that when he entered Jerusalem, the very path of entry afforded him an easy diversion where he could have taken another route and avoided it altogether, especially knowing what was going to happen. But every avenue that the devil presented as an escape route from doing the will of God, Jesus refused it. Just as much as Peter vehemently took the Lord aside and said, not so Lord, they're not going to take you. And he had to tell Peter, get thee behind me Satan, talking to the devil, who was speaking through Peter at that time. So the Lord vehemently resisted Satan at every turn. The enemy would have brought, just as he did in the wilderness, following the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ in the waters of Jordan, Presenting the pleasures, the treasure, the power, the glory of this world. And the Lord refused all of it to do the will of God was his food and his greatest joy. The will of the Father, God the Son, obeying the will of God the Father, especially as he became a human being. So at this juncture, going to Gethsemane, the enemy would have tried many things. But his heart was set on fulfilling God's will. In Philippians chapter 2, we see, and being found in appearance as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Are we willing to die? Are we willing to die to our plans? Are we willing to die to our comfort? Are we willing to die to what other people think about us altogether? So that we can do God's will. Not out of constraint, but out of great freedom and joy. Death is a necessity before we can live in the will of God. It's when the death of crucifixion has not occurred properly or fully. There's a tremendous back and forth struggle in wanting to please God and wanting to please the devil and the world and ourselves. When we choose 
die to ourselves completely and say, Lord, I don't want anything of my own thoughts. I'm done with that, Lord. I don't want my own thoughts to lead me because your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, Lord. And your ways are not my ways. My ways are not your ways. But through the death conformed to the sufferings of the Lord Jesus, by doing whatever is necessary, as we heard recently, take my body and tell the body, you're here to obey the dictates of the Spirit, not the other way around. Have the Spirit as a slave to the body, forcibly taken, dragged along with chains. Whatever the body wants to do, the Spirit has to submit. That's not the Christian life at all. That's the life of a person who's unsaved. But a person who's filled with the Spirit of God will understand I have to bring this body under subjection. It cannot have its way any moment of the day or night. For to give in to the body, the flesh and the old desires is to become a slave again. Willingly say, put the handcuffs on me. I will serve sin one more time. Which will lead to death all the time. The Lord Jesus refused everything Satan offered, every escape route from the will of God that the enemy brought very enticingly. He is the one who set his face like a flint to do the will of God and he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. He exchanged death for life. That's exactly what will happen to us. when we die to ourselves and we crucify the flesh and reckon it dead, the old man, the old person, no longer alive, but a new person on the inside, which is created after God in true righteousness and holiness. The brand new existence, the brand new life, it's like a child that's been transplanted from one country to another and introduced to the school system of this adopted country, new country. Everything is different. And the child begins to get accustomed to the people and the rules of the classroom and the mannerisms, the social exchange. And it's a brand new life. And the child has been dropped into this life where the former life is forgotten. The child understands, I can't bring the former way of thinking into this life because this is brand new. And if I'm going to live here and survive here and thrive, I need to have a whole new set of ideas about life. We are citizens of heaven there's a continual necessity for every believer to filter family, filter education, filter social interactions, filter media, filter all the desires through the will of God. Hallelujah. Somebody has to do it. Otherwise, we'll all be led astray with each other. Some parents tell their children, don't follow the crowd, you be a leader. And some people like to train their children in some ideals, be different, do the right thing, stand up for those who are bullied. Don't be afraid of the crowd, 
good, noble ideas. But apart from Christ, it'll crumble. But for the believer, our Heavenly Father says, don't follow the crowd. Where? Not only in the world, but in the church. In this body of Christ that is universal, the Lord says, you follow that which is pleasing to the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And you stand up for the truth. You stand up for justice. You stand up for love and mercy. May the people around you, your family, your friends, even other believers, see the good fruit that comes from your life. That would lead them to really take a look at their own lives and make changes so they can be victorious and well-pleasing to God. It takes death. There's no life apart from death. When it comes to the spiritual realm, what needs to die is not the spirit, it's the flesh. And then the spiritual life can take over. And any time we notice there's a friction and struggle rising, we need to put it to death. But what to death? The flesh. We need to appropriate the scriptures and say, remember, this is supposed to be dead. How did it revive? What did I do? What did I not watch? Did I watch and pray? Then the flesh would remain dead. And the result is, God will exalt us. God highly exalted the Lord Jesus. He gave himself as an offering and a sacrifice. Doing the will of God. And the Father gave him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, this is the Apostle Paul speaking by the Holy Ghost. God is speaking through the man directly to the people. And so he can say, when I was with you, you obeyed. Because when they were obeying Paul, they were obeying God. Paul was not God. But God was in Paul talking to them directly and observing the people. And speaking to correct things. And encouraging them. It was God working through Paul. Paul is not lording it over the people. As he himself said, we're not called to do that. But. As a father in the faith. He would go on to say. I plead with you. Those who are after my own heart. You obeyed me when I was there. But now when I'm not physically there. Obey even more. Work out your own salvation. It's not for me. Paul makes that clear. I'm called to be an overseer. But it's not for my benefit. Work out your own salvation. With fear. And trembling. Make sure you're walking right with God. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And then he goes on to say, don't murmur, complain. Don't fight each other. But be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a opposite situation. Opposite people. What kind of people? Not blameless and harmless people, but crooked people and perverse people. That's the people among whom you live. But you don't be like them. You shine as lights in the midst of them. Holding fast or holding forth the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul says, I've invested in you by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God. And I'm watching how you respond to the instruction and the encouragement and the warnings. I want to rejoice on that day when everybody is rewarded, including you, Philippians. And God sent me amongst you to show you the way of holiness and to lead you by example. And I want to see that you follow through 
And every bit of blessing that God gave you through me has netted a result for the glory of God. Hallelujah. You've come obediently with every instruction you've been given. Paul says, I have a right. As a farmer sows, patiently waits for the harvest, so I'm waiting too. Hallelujah. But it's up to you. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's up to you. Jesus Christ submitted like that kernel of wheat falling to the ground to produce many. The only way we can be useful to the Lord is if we're utterly dead to ourselves. And it takes investigation and a thorough examination. Am I really dead to me? I heard of a great leader who passed away just the other day in the Christian world. And a younger man obviously talked about how he used to always drive him to the airport or wherever he had to go when he visited. And, and he mentioned this, we'd always make sure we hit a Starbucks along the way. The first thing that comes to mind is Would not the Spirit of God give disturbance as he did to Paul on Mars Hill? Given that there's a design on that cup and the logo and all that they do there, not to mention the indulgence that happens usually and the trouble that comes when a person is addicted to those things, it's not to say they were, but when you summarize a person's ministry, and you summarize your dealings with that person, do you need to put this in there? With that limited real estate in an article, how does Starbucks get in there? And others, they have to mention, this is my favorite team. No wonder the power that God wants to unleash against the kingdom of darkness cannot flow the way he wants. Because the discernment has been pushed away. The death to self has been pushed away. The understanding of what to communicate and what really matters gets mingled up with these casual statements and casual things. We don't have time here to discuss the depth of what it actually means to see this again and again amongst Christians. Because the Spirit of God will reveal when something's wrong sooner or later. And it's when our taste buds dictate our decisions more than the truth. Lord will allow us to do that. And by and by will influence a generation to be the same way. And compromise will come in. It doesn't have to be through the back door. People willingly go and invite it into the front door. Think nothing of it. No wonder how many ministers have paraded their favorite book or their favorite movie. Nothing to glorify the Lord. I've heard translators and professors of New Testament theology and Old Testament. They cannot but fail to mention, oh, by the way, I like this, this movie and that book and that dish. If someone asks the person personally at an interview, that's different. But 
it seems like they cannot but express something that will make them relatable. Why cater to this world and to the fancy of people? Why not stand apart? So not only do I not have time for those things, but they're actually contrary to my mission and what I stand for. No wonder the churches are full of Eli's who could no longer see spiritually. Just as he was getting blind physically. And God had to find someone who would not compromise. It was a little boy. That's the person God could find with all those priests, all the judges, all the people in there, the soldiers and the common people and the Pharisees and all these people, whoever they were, the precursors to the Pharisees. God could only find one little boy who's a a child after God's heart. He would not compromise. And he grew up to be a great man of God. Never compromised to the very end. Powerful ministry. We have to stand apart. We cannot mingle with the status quo. Jesus gave us the example by putting to death all of the devil's offers. He saw it for what it was. And for those who are not familiar with Starbucks, the logo originally was a completely naked woman. That's how they drew it originally. And they modified it. It actually is one of the Greek sirens, mythological goddess, satanic. But we need to know what things actually rule us and whether we're willing to part with anything that God identifies as not good for us. Some people will not give up their TV shows but they'll hug their Bible and have their coffee mug ready for Bible study. When God says, you're among those who are not just not of this world, but you're actually of it. With all the talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the books that are written, very scholarly and very palatable for a new generation. Compromise is very evident. No wonder people don't want to know the truth. And they live a life where there are leaks and they affect other people. We're called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, but we need to understand we will affect other people too. Whatever we do, however we take care of ourselves, will affect other people too. How soberly we ought to walk. Not with a somber look, with no happy times with family and celebrations, no. But everything in its place and marked by holiness and any deviation, we instantly go broken heart to the Lord, say, Lord, there's something wrong. Show me, Lord, and I'll change it immediately. I don't care if 50,000 people in my family and my colleagues and societies that I belong to, they all say, what's wrong with Starbucks, Davy? We always go there. We don't worship that store and the idol on the cup. Oh, did I say idol on the cup? Well, didn't Paul say idol means nothing and how shockingly, pervertedly liberal people can become. Is there no other coffee store? And first of all, is coffee good? And how much of it is good for you? Let the Lord deal with each one. For some people, God may say it's an addiction to you. You need to stop altogether. For some, not. But certainly, for all of his children, Should we go to where everybody goes? 
because it smells good. I like the upbeat atmosphere and the strangely curious music sometimes. And I see the people flocking there. They're all cool people. If you don't get in on this, you're not cool. You can be a Bible expositor. You can be a famous seminarian. You can be a pastor for 40 years. But you got to have your Starbucks with you or you don't blend in with the crowd. Didn't Paul say to the Jew, you become a Jew, to the Romans, Roman? Well, if people drink a Starbucks, I'll drink it too. I want to mix in with the, plus the flavors out, out of this world. And just cover up the image on the cup, will you? And never mind the history about it. And never mind the demonic origin of it. Never mind the addiction that can come. Never mind that actually, health-wise, it's not so good for you. I want to blend in and be accepted. First and foremost, if a picture of Baal, Baal, is on a coffee cup, do you think Elijah will take a sip of that? Death to self, death to all that the devil has for you will free you up so that the Spirit of God can trust you and do more in your life. As it's written, the little foxes, it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. It takes the vitality like a leech. So many things that the Spirit of God wants to tell us, but we don't want to hear it. Because we love darkness and therefore he can't work anymore. And then the devil will bring all his people saying legalism and this is uh, just going overboard. And That's exactly what people say. And you, you know who? Predominantly the religious people. Church people will fight you tooth and nail. Why can't I have martial arts as an after school activity as a, a director of... Uh, program in a school that I taught in the Christian school years ago she came to me she found out that I had some background in that and she came to me and said we'd like you to start up a karate class for the kids you're one of the teachers and I think they'll just flock to you and plus she made a gesture with the fingers rubbing her thumb and her middle finger together saying and plus you can make some money I laughed. I said, no. What the Lord showed me is not conducive for a believer walking in peace and trusting God for protection, which should be in the domain of those who defend society in the police force or the army. As I'm teaching the children about Christ, why do I need to introduce this? which is diametrically opposed to the mission that I have from God. There are many things to be said. I wrote an elaborate article on that years ago. How the devil lures people into things that are fun and even bring health and fitness. Bring yoga and bring martial arts and bring all these pursuits and I know pastors who cannot part with these things. They will be all on fire for God and then praise their deceased grandmaster in that particular martial art. Divided allegiances. No wonder people don't really follow God who have compromising leaders who never died to their own interests. The Lord Jesus showed us how to live, to do one will exclusively, the Father's will. Peter warmed himself with the fire, and the Lord's detractors could not find any credible witness against him, but they continued. And then some rose up, verse 20, 57 in Mark 14, and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands. And within three days, I will build another made without hands. 
but not even then did their testimony agree. We know he's speaking about his body. They're alleging that he's talking about the big structure, the edifice of the temple. But they didn't match in their accusations there either. And the high priest stood up. Notice the devil that's in this high priest who's supposed to be a high priest of God. Fully like a Judas right there. The high priest. Instead of stopping and saying, wait, this is against the law. None of these witnesses match. And even if I don't like Jesus, I can't go along with this. Nothing of the sort. Blind rage against the Son of God. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, as if Jesus was at fault, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. He was a, as a lamb led to the slaughter. How many people would like to open their mouth and blast other people? The moment they feel somebody's accusing them. Have you died to that? Have we died to that? This need for self-defense, the moment somebody looks at you wrong or implicates something, rushing to say, no, it wasn't me, and blah, 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 to try to defend our reputation. There are times in which, for God's sake, we need to speak up, but too often people are after their own reputation. We need to put that to death. The Lord Jesus was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and it's written in the Proverbs, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you also become like him. And the high priest once more said to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Now the Lord had to speak. He said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power of God the Father and coming with clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him. How does it feel to be spit upon? Not everyone has had that experience. Maybe very few. But even if we have not had that experience, I haven't, but just to think of somebody's audacity and total despising of another human being to spit upon the person They spat on the Lord God Almighty in human form. And they began to blindfold him. What does it feel like to be suddenly blinded when you're on a bus somewhere or a train or walking the street or in the shopping mall? All of a sudden, blackout. Everybody else can see, but you can't. You start groping for the desk, for your phone. They spat on him and then blindfolded him. But that wasn't all to take away the vision. They beat him. Blows coming to him and he doesn't know where it's coming from. If he were just a man, but he was God, he knew. He knew which person's hand slapped him, even when he was blindfolded. Which person punched him? Oh, God. And then they mocked him saying, prophesy spat upon, blindfolded, beaten, and then mocked, prophesied. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. I've often said, these people are not your ordinary average citizens. They have experience in this. They would have had a strong blow on top of the beating, being slapped by these people. Why? Why did God have to be spat upon? Why did God have to be blindfolded and treated like this? 
because we still want to hold on to Starbucks. We still want to watch the things that are anti-God. We still want to sing the praises of our family and turn a blind eye to their utter revolt and rebellion against the Holy God. We want to cater to people's whims and make them feel good rather than tell them you need to repent because danger is over your head. The Lord suffered and He was crucified so that darkness can be obliterated in the lives of people who come to Him who is the light of the world. He paid for our sins, for our foolishness. Should we go back to foolishness? Should we say, Lord, never again do I want even one thing that is foolish in my life. Lord, I want you to come show me. I'm not smart enough, Lord, to know what's foolish and what's not unless you show me. And other people are not smart, smart enough, Lord, unless you show them. But Lord, I have you to speak to me. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, not to compromise with demons and idols and my taste buds and what other people are doing and what's popular. But to do one thing, to please you with everything that's within me, even if I have to stand alone, get blindfolded, spat upon, struck, so be it. I will not compromise the truth. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, Look, this is the one, this this one of them. But he denied it again. I don't know Jesus. I've seen people in the teacher's lounge in a school, Christian school, telling each other, I don't know Jesus of Nazareth. In a Christian school, Christian teachers telling each other, I don't know Jesus of Nazareth. Do you? Oh, no, 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 not me. Someone says, that's quite uh, a story. Is that real? Well, when they said that, I found this Hindu ashram and everybody's going there. And I think it would be great to go check out, you know, intermingle and cross-culture type of thing. And they were denying Jesus of Nazareth by expressing their fancies. And the other one, my husband is the dumbest person on the face of the earth. I tell him what to do. They're denying Jesus of Nazareth. They're not listening to God's word. If we deny God's word, we deny him. The Lord said, wives, submit to your own husbands. Let the wife see that she reverence her husband. And the other male teachers also. And you can translate this and uh, apply this across the board. Not only on job sites, but on outings and church grounds and the home despising one another. Husbands, love your wives. No. I will make myself look smart and the wife look dumb in front of other people. Oh, there are people who do that in various ways. By gestures, by words, and by talking behind their back. It's a total denial of the commandments of God. Can't we see that if we deny God's commandments, we're denying Him because Jesus is the Word of God. He is the eternal Word. Professing godliness but denying the power thereof. I don't have to submit to this. It doesn't have that much of power in my life. Yeah, I turned over a new leaf and this and that and the other thing, but I still get finicky, as one college professor told me, the leading Christian university down south. He said, I'm a very vengeful person in front of the whole class full of administrators from across the country. He said, I'm a very vengeful person. It's very hard for me to forgive. A Christian professor in a leading Christian university. I thought to myself, first of all, 
That's a denial of your testimony as a Christian. Secondly, it's poisonous for people to hear who are looking to you to learn something. If you have such a problem, you should not deny that, but take it to the Lord and weep and say, Lord, why am I like this? Why am I such a vengeful person? There's a contradiction, Lord. I'm being pummeled by the flesh and by the devil, Lord. I'll do whatever it takes, Lord. I'll fast 10 days. I will cry and weep before you, Lord. I can't go on like this. I can't be a vengeful person and claim to be your follower, the meek and lowly one who humbled himself to become a man and a slave, servant, and even die. And that to death on the cross, numbered with the transgressors. Oh Lord, what kind of pride is still in me that makes me vengeful? Oh God. Oh God. I don't care if everybody thinks I'm the greatest person, the greatest professor, and I'm able to get along with everyone. But the truth is, internally, I'm far from you, Lord, because I don't obey what you told me. There are many people today, may we not be among them, and if we are, let's repent. Lord, may I never deny you by my actions, my gestures, my words, my internal feelings, the hidden feelings. Let me never hide hatred with lying lips, Lord. Help me to deal with that and get it out. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are Galilean, and your speech shows it. You know by your accent, you can't get out of this one. Well, Peter had a plan. And he said, I don't know the man twice. Now it's stepped up, and he's got a step of his game. He began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. The second time the rooster crowed, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. The other gospel says the Lord looked, he turned and looked at Peter. Peter thought about it. The other gospel, when the Lord looked at him, in addition, he wept and wept bitterly. It's written in the other gospel. Because Peter didn't get caught, he didn't congratulate himself and say, well, I escaped. I can still make it home for dinner. I can still get my ball game on. and I blew my witness and my testimony, but hey, I'm not going to condemn myself over it, beat myself over it. I have a life to live, you know. I have to go home and unwind because I have to be back to work tomorrow. I have to do this, that, the other thing. Thank God Peter was not like that. Though he fell, it broke him up so badly inside, as it should have, that he repented thoroughly and never again did this, but rather went on to be a man full of the Holy Spirit, fearless. And although one... And failure came when he sided with the Jews and Paul had to confront him on that. It was a far cry from what he had done here. And he was humbled, the great apostle, the great spokesman for the early church. He humbled himself under Paul who came later because it was the truth of Jesus. Are we able to hear the truth? When it comes to us, are we able to receive it humbly and say, there's got to be some changes? I didn't realize. Or I did realize and I didn't want to realize. Oh God, I want to please you. Lord, I see how much needs to be stripped away in my life. The kind of Christianity that I've lived has really conformed to my desires more than yours. Help me, Lord Jesus, to die the death 
that's necessary so that I can live for you and you can live through me. To show this world how many ways the tentacles of Satan make their way into believers' lives, gaining a hold with idolatry, immorality, and foolishness. And the Holy Spirit's grieved in so many ways. And they wonder why they don't seem to be getting ahead spiritually or having the kind of impact they're supposed to, even though they like to pass it off as they do, as if they do, and report the figures. God's not interested in churches sending missionaries all over the world. He really isn't. When there are missionaries needed to that same church to wake them up. To turn them from what? Idolatry. Just like we expect missionaries to do. Going to far off heathen lands. We need missionaries to be sent right there to the church. Tell them, what are you doing with idols? What idols? Your TV, your working out, your food, your drink, your clothing. All the different things you do, your conversations. There's a lot of revolving around you, isn't it? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let there be a complete loyalty to Jesus. Let the Lord count us worthy to be those who would deny ourselves, take up our cross as the Lord Jesus did, and follow him. When we have done the will of God, to gladly say, Lord, after all, we have been unprofitable servants. Meaning, that although they accomplished so much for the kingdom of God, because they chose to die to themselves at some point, Become, became productive for the glory of God having the fruit of the spirit winning souls and damaging the kingdom of darkness setting people free truly we're able to come and say Lord we just did what we are told to we didn't bring any net gain to you as if it came from us what you put in our hands Lord we used the talent we received the gifts of the spirit Lord, we received your word. We trembled and rejoiced at the same time before your awesome presence, O Lord. And we are following you, Lord, to you belong all the glory. At best, we've been unprofitable. We didn't bring anything on our own, Lord. We just did what you gave us to do with the power that you gave. It's our great delight. Thank you, Father, for including us in your gospel scheme before time ends. And hallelujah, the Lord says, my child, cross will lead to a crown you have passed the tests and you have lived the life of self-denial for my sake you have taken up your cross and followed me I have a crown of unparalleled exquisite eternal beauty to give to you clothe you with white garments the righteousness Fill you with joy and speak of to dwell with me forever. The ages to come, which is eternity. World without end. The Lord Jesus could see how the cross, although it was so painful, and the Lord opening his mouth to speak the truth, to say, I am, hastened the hostility of his enemies against him but he knew that he's going to shortly overcome everything and rise from the dead and as he said so it would happen hereafter you'll see me sitting at the right hand of power coming with the glory of my father with all the holy angels The Bible says, don't you know that we will judge angels? One day, you and I 
if we can grasp this, it's worth it all. Do everything the Holy Spirit puts His finger on our lives to. Leave the things He said to leave and cleave to the things He said to cleave to. One day we'll be given authority to judge angels. It's written in Corinthians. We need to be heavily minded. We need to have our eyes on the prize, which is to please the Lord Jesus. We need to be dead to our self so that He can live through us. That's the only way we can really be lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Don't compromise in your family matters the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and His commission to you, His commands to you. Stand up, even if you're the only one in your family. Standing for real holiness. Not some delusion. Stand up on your job when they want you to compromise. The devil says, don't say anything right now. You look like a fool or they'll fire you. When the Lord says to speak, come to that point. I'll speak, Lord, no matter where I am. It's not my mind I'm going to speak, Lord. I want to speak what you want me to speak. And if I'm persecuted, I believe your word, Lord, that the spirit of my Father will speak through me at that time. I'm not to premeditate. But how can I get to this? Unless daily I die, able to identify how the flesh is alive and well in my life. If it is, to crucify it. So I can stand the test and make my Father's heart glad Fulfill His will. Stand up in your church. If your church is lukewarm and dead, stand up before you get out of there. Otherwise you become like Lot. Whatever you belong to, that's supposed to be Christian. Christian clubs, Christian meetings, Christian associations, Stand up for what the Lord says in His Word. And have it backed up by your life with the fruit of the Spirit very evident and the power of the Holy Spirit very evident. Hallelujah. This is our heritage. Let's follow in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't sleep when it was time to pray. He didn't eat when it was time to evangelize. He always did the Father's will. You and I are called to do the same thing. We can do the same thing empowered by Him if we want to. Many people came. Perhaps 11, 12,000 people. Can you imagine a crowd of such proportions coming after Jesus. You just look, there's a sea of people. The Lord did the miracle. They were well fed. And then the moment he said, you have to do this, they told each other, we're out of here. We don't want to do this. This is strange. This is too much. It's exactly how God sees the sea of faces in many, many churches. They come to feel good, to get a good message. The moment the Lord says, you need to check your heart. There's things lingering there that are contrary to my will. Like he told the people in the book of Revelation. These things are not right. You need to repent. Otherwise, I'll remove your candlestick from this place. I don't want to hear this. It's condemning. It's, I'm going to another church. You can't. But it will be the synagogue of Satan. There are churches all over the world who are faithful to the Lord Jesus, but in comparison to the churches that abound, they're very small in proportion. It's up to each of us to guard ourselves and say, enough is enough. I will refuse to be a goat. I want to be a real sheep. I want the Word of God and the Word of God only, undiluted, unadulterated. And I pledge myself to the same God that I say, Lord, give me the pure Word. I promise to lay down my pride in everything and anyone so I can follow that pure word to glory. Shall we pray?
Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for blazing the trail, for giving us your Holy Word, Lord, and your Holy Spirit to help us to walk. That our entire body, our appetites, Lord, our thoughts, everything, our spirit, soul, and body would be conformed to your will and your will only. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As your word has gone forth, Lord, from you, hallelujah, you stretch forth your hands and heal the people who receive the word. And thank you for doing it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.